Hey, everybody. This is Brian, the campus pastor at Mount Hope's Belmont campus. It's great to talk to you again. This Sunday, we started a new sermon series called Ancient Families, Modern Problems. Listen, every single one of us, we come from an imperfect family, and we have an imperfect family. So the question is, can God use us even though the family we come from is imperfect and the family we have is not perfect? In this sermon, we answer that question, and we'll continue to ask that question throughout the entire series. So I hope you'll join us. If you can't join us in person here in Belmont, Massachusetts, I hope you'll join us online. You can go to mounthope.org slash live and watch us each Sunday at 10 a.m. This sermon you're about to listen to was delivered by Pastor Rick Piccarello, senior pastor of Mount Hope and our Burlington campus pastor. I hope you listen to this sermon closely because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. This might come as a shock to you, but uh, growing up and going through school, I was not usually the tallest person in my class. (laughs) Shocking, right? I know. And this usually isn't a problem, except in a couple places, Uh, gym class and uh, the playground. Uh, usually is when these things are brought out among kids. Uh, I was great. If the ball ever went over the fence, I was the one who would crawl under the fence to, uh, to get the ball back, so that was helpful. Uh, people needed me for something anyways. Uh, but usually the place where, even if I didn't you know, notice it, usually the place that it's brought out was in gym class when something wonderful is happening called picking teams. Anyone remember picking teams? Yeah, picking teams in gym class, right. So we go through school and we tell kids, hey, you're all special. Don't show favorites. Everybody's the same, you know. Everybody's great. And now we're going to have the two best athletes in the class come up and choose teams. And they're going to choose teams. And you know what that moment is like. And I don't know if we have any gym teachers or PE teachers in here, but can I just give a suggestion? This is not really part of the message, but just here's a suggestion. Here's a suggestion. If you would just, here's something you could do. Instead of taking the two best athletes, right, just choose the two kids that you and everyone else knows are going to be the last two kids picked. Just pick them and let them be the captains and pick the teams. And I would see what happens. I don't know. Maybe a little compassion will be shown. Maybe some humility will be learned. But probably they're just going to first pick the two best athletes, and and it's going to happen all over again. But I don't know. Uh, Anyway, that's not part of the sermon. But here's what would happen. So you remember that time, right? You're in there, and you remember what it feels like to stand in that moment. You're standing with your back against the concrete wall. And you're hoping that uh, your name is going to be called. And so you see these people that have already been picked, right? And they're up there having their little discussion, you know, right? And you're you're wondering, okay, please call my name, right? Because you just want to be picked and you don't want to be picked last, but somebody's picked last and maybe you were and sometimes I was. And that can be a hard moment. And when we come to church, And we think about God and who he is and who we are. I wonder if sometimes we don't feel like we're back in middle school gym class. Standing there in our ill-fitting shorts and our too big t-shirts and standing against the wall 
Like people evaluate us wondering if our name is going to get called next. Wondering if we'll get picked. Hoping we will, but bracing ourselves for the pain if we're not. Trying not to break down or let people see that it bothers us if we're not picked. Wonder if sometimes when we come to church, if we don't feel like that maybe God is looking at us in that way, standing against the wall, and we're wondering if we're going to get picked. Is this how things are with God? Is, is God up there as the bo- best and most holy athlete, picking people who are perfect like him and leaving the scrubs until the last? One thing we know about God is that he works through people. But what kind of people does God work through? When we think about the kind of people God works through, we often, I think, make two assumptions. Let me talk about those this morning. I think we make two assumptions sometimes when we come to church and we think about the people that God works through. Sometimes people make two assumptions. One assumption is this, that God uses perfect people in perfect situations, That God uses perfect people in perfect situations. God uses people who have it all together. The person that God works through is squeaky clean on their record. There's no skeletons in their closet. They balance life perfectly. They always have a great attitude. They never get too upset. They never have an impure thought or action. And their family is the same way. I mean, we'll try and do something for God. We'll try and be good Christians. But the person that God really uses is the one that walks in on a Sunday morning with that perfect family. The one whose kids always behave and are quiet and attentive in church. God uses the person who always has the right thing to say at the right moment. You know, they have all those phrases ready for you. Where God guides, he provides. You know, let go and let God. God helps those who help themselves. They always have something ready to say. It's like they have the right scripture always ready to say. It's it's like going to church with Tim Tebow all the time. Just, you know, he's up there, he's, you know, and it's like everyone, right thing to say, right? Not there's anything wrong with Tim Tebow, but, you know, everyone, sometimes you put your reputation, you put out there and... Sometimes people look at people and they say, oh, they're just the perfect person. They're just the perfect family. The perfect people that God uses don't argue with their spouse, of course. Never raise their voice to their kids. Of course, why would they need to anyways? Because their kids are perfect also. Don't do anything wrong. Not really. And these people also come from perfect families. They grow up in loving two-parent homes where their mom always had cookies and milk on the table every day when they came home from school. Their family sat around the kitchen table at dinner time in well-ironed clothes with perfect manners, and they had dinner together every night. And if you're around the table, you might hear a conversation that went something like this, went something like this, Father, if it's not too much trouble, could you perhaps pass the organic antibiotic grass-fed Non-GMO, local, fresh, free-range, killed in the most humane way, chicken. And the father would say, why, of course, son, it's no trouble at all. Then after the children have completed all their 
homework and their chores. They've cleared the table, of course, without being asked and cleaned all the dishes. They did some extra credit homework without even being asked. Then they went up and brushed their teeth without complaining, not leaving any peppermint toothpaste worms on the counter. In fact, cleaning the bathroom all by themselves, put themselves to bed in their immaculate room, and then got ready to do it all over again tomorrow. The perfect people certainly didn't have fights with their kids on the way to church this morning. They didn't fight with their spouse. They didn't have to argue with their kids to get them to church, to get them in the car, to get here. They're the perfect person that God is looking for, the person that God wants to use in ministry. That's the one that God would pick. I think one of our assumptions sometimes when it comes to God is that he's looking for perfect people who are in perfect situations that come from perfect situations. Second assumption that we make is that because we come from imperfect situations, maybe our present situation isn't perfect, then God's not looking to use us. Or even worse, we're somehow disqualified from being used by God. This is really the logical outcome of the first assumption. God uses perfect people. I'm not a perfect person. Therefore, I'm not the type of person God uses. My past and present are imperfect. Therefore, I must be disqualified. Or at least God's going to pick someone else first. Maybe you come from a family that never ate dinner around the table. You didn't even have dinner together. In fact, everyone just kind of came home and fended for themselves and forget about in front of the table. It was always in front of the TV, and there was never any conversation except maybe during commercial breaks, and that was limited to a lot of yelling and name-calling laced with insults and maybe a bit of swearing. Maybe you say, I come, my family's situation was nothing like that. It was far from perfect. Or maybe you look at the current situation that you're in and you think, God wouldn't want to use me. He'd certainly choose someone else first. Maybe you got kids that are rebellious. Perhaps they were raised in the church and then walked away from the Lord. Maybe your spouse left you or maybe your spouse cheated on you or maybe you were the one that cheated. You were dishonest at work. You yelled at your kids this morning and threatened them in order to get them here to church. Maybe you try to read your Bible, but you've never really read it through. And even when you do read it, you can read the same passage the pastor is preaching on a Sunday morning, and you have no idea how they got out of it, what they got out of it, because it was just confusing to you. You pray at meals sometimes, sometimes maybe a quick prayer in the shower or in the car on the way to work, but really only when you really need something from God. You know that God loves you, or you know that you're supposed to know that. You come to church to get on God's good side because, well, it's what you're supposed to do, and maybe God won't look at all the other junk in my life so harshly if I come to church. You think about doing something for God, but let's face it, you're damaged goods. There's plenty of other people that don't have problems or the baggage that you bring or I bring and God could use. Maybe if there were no other options, God might use you to do something. 
but not when there's other options. I'm the last person God would use. We assume God works through flawless people, and we know we're flawed. We know we come from flawed situations. So God will probably choose and work through someone else. But of course, like any assumption, it needs to be tested. We need to look a little closer. Does coming from an imperfect family or having an imperfect family disqualify you from really being used by God? Does it disqualify you from being used in a big and a great way by God? Does it mean that you're never the person to whom God's going to say, I want to use her, or I am choosing him to do something great? Does your imperfect family affect that? We're starting a series this week at Mount Hope called Ancient Families and Modern Problems. We're going to be in it for several weeks through the month of May and into the beginning of June. And we want to take some time to look at some ancient families in Scripture, to look at some of the same problems they had and that we still have. And I, as we started out this series and we, we introduced this series, the first thing that came to our mind is when we think about our families, a lot of times we come with these assumptions. God is going to choose people with perfect families. My family's not perfect, so maybe God's not going to use me. But is it true? Is it true that God only used flawless people? Let's look at that for a second. To answer that question, let's look at some people in the Bible. All of these people we're going to look at very quickly, we could say have the letters H-O-F after their names. How many of you know what it means when you see a person on TV or maybe you're reading a newspaper article and you see a name and it has the letters H? O-F after it. What does it mean? Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame, right? H-O-F. You get, you get into the Hall of Fame, you get an H-O-F after your name. It's especially used mostly of sports players. Uh, in, in a lot of times you'll see their name and you'll see H-O-F after their name. It means they've been the best of the best at what they did in a particular time. It means others have recognized them as the best. It's always interesting whenever somebody's nominated for the Hall of Fame, there always seems to be a lot of discussion about them. Seems like, uh, especially with the Baseball Hall of Fame, I hear a lot of discussion about who gets in. Some people question whether the people who got in deserve to get in. And then there's discussion about other people who think that they should have gotten in or they were overlooked. There's discussion about whether people in the steroid era should get in whether Pete Rose should have been banned for life, how much a person's character off the field should affect their Hall of Fame consideration. Regardless, these people were exceptional and outstanding during their time at what they did. Believe it or not, there are some people in the Bible who have H-O-F after their names. It's not Hall of Fame, though. We might say it's Hall of Faith, H-O-F. This might surprise you, but some of the same discussion that would go on about people who get into the Hall of Fame, I think might go on about people who the Bible puts in the Hall of Faith. 
that there might be discussion about whether they should really be in there. Whether they should really get the accolades they get. Or whether someone else maybe should be in their place. Some of the same discussions that go on about people in the Hall of Fame go on about, could go on about people in the Hall of Faith. Well, maybe not the steroids thing, but outside of that, some of the same discussions about character would go on. So let's look at these people who are in the Hall of Faith. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to read some verses from Hebrews chapter 11. If you're using a Bible in one of the chair racks in front. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one out of the chair rack in front of you. Hopefully, there's one nearby. I think Hebrews 11 in that Bible will be on page 1007 um, in that Bible. Hebrews 11, it's kind of near the back of the Bible. Pew Bible, page 1007. And this is how Hebrews 11 starts. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he is commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Hebrews 11 goes on. I won't read the whole chapter, but it lists names just like we read. We read about uh, Enoch and Abraham and Sarah. It goes on and lists many other names in this hall of faith, commending them as people with great faith commending them as people who are to be looked to as an example in their lives. They're in the hall of faith. And yet if we look a little closer at some of the names that are given, we might be surprised. We might be surprised that it would challenge our assumptions that God chooses perfect people who come from perfect families, who have perfect lives. 
Just a few of the names are listed here. Abraham was certainly a great man of faith. He, he was spoken to by God. All these stories are, are in the Old Testament, and if you want to read them for yourselves, you can if you haven't. But Abraham was spoken to by God, called by God to go out. God said, I'm choosing you, and I'm choosing you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great people, and I want you to move away from everything you've known and move to a new place you've never been. And Abraham said, I'll go. And he went. On faith, there were no churches. There were no people around saying, yeah, Abraham, that's God. It was God speaking to Abraham alone. He went on a voice he had heard. And what a great man of faith. But as he went, he also came into some foreign land and he uh, basically denied that he was married to his wife, Sarah, in order to spare his life uh, so that they wouldn't kill him. Put her life and her livelihood and her purity in jeopardy in order to spare his own life. He also, at one time, when God said that he would have a child and he was getting older and he wasn't seeing the promise fulfilled, he went and had a child with his wife's servant to try and fulfill God's promise. And yet Abraham has HOF after his name. Sarah, Sarah went with Abraham and she followed him. But then when God himself sent an angel down to say to Abraham and Sarah that you are going to have a baby, and she was near 90 years old, she laughed. She laughed at the words of an angel. Basically laughed in the face of an angel. Not only that, when confronted, why did you laugh? She lied. She said, I didn't laugh. The messenger of God responded back, yes, you did. But she's in the hall of faith, H-O-F, after her name, even though she also encouraged Abraham, take my servant because I can't have any kids. And yet she did. God gave her a legacy of children. Others in here, others in this list, Noah, Noah was a great man of faith. He built an ark when God told him to, and no one else was building arks at the time. <laughs> no one else had really anticipated any rain or flood or anything like that. God said, build an ark, and Noah did. But then after he got out of the ark, we don't even know all that what happened, but something went really wrong, really bad, really fast. Noah gets drunk, his kids do something that we don't even have all the details about, uh, but God was not pleased. And yet Noah is this man of faith. Isaac is in here, and he says, Isaac was blessed. He blessed Jacob, his son. And what a, what a great man of faith by Isaac the father blessing Jacob the son, saying, God has bestowed a blessing on me and it's going to flow through you and God has provided this blessing for our family and I in faith put it on you. But it only came to Jacob because Jacob deceived his father, his dying, senile, blind father on his deathbed. Jacob deceived him and posed as his older brother Esau. And even when Isaac said, it seems like you're Esau. Said, no, no, I'm Jacob. And yet Isaac, Jacob, both 
H-O-F, after their names. Hall of Faith. Gideon, uh, his story is in Judges, and he won many battles, and he did great things for God, but Gideon, at the beginning of his story, he says, I'm the least of the least of the least. He says, my family's the least of the tribes, and my family is the least in that tribe, and I am the least in my family. God, if you're going to choose someone, it's certainly going to be someone else, not me. But God did choose him. And Gideon did some great things, but at the very end of his life, the very last verse in the Bible written about Gideon, one of the very last things it says, says he took gold from all the people after a great battle, and he made a gold uh, garment, and it says that garment became a stumbling block for his family, became an idol, became something they would worship before God. And yet Gideon, H-O-F for Gideon, Hall of Faith. Samson's in there. He's in the Hall of Faith. And he did a lot of great things for God, too. He had this amazing strength that God had given him. And yet Samson was controlled by his flesh, his lust. He lusted after uh, a woman that he shouldn't have, told her things he shouldn't have, disowned his family, his God lost his strength, and yet Samson is in the hall of faith. David, Bible calls David, King David, a man after God's own heart, great man of God. Many of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, the songs of God were written by David. David, the one that defeated Goliath, that David. Great man, great king, did many things for God, the greatest king that Israel's ever had. And yet David, one night, when he's on the roof of his house, when he should have been somewhere else, looked down upon another roof and saw what he probably knew he would see. Married woman, bathing, and he lusted after her. He went and committed adultery, and not only that, after that, he had her husband murdered to cover it up. David, man after God's own heart. Hall of Faith. David gets H-O-F after his name. Samuel. Samuel was, actually Samuel is one of the few people in Scripture that almost nothing negative is said about. From the very beginning of his life, it's only positive things about Samuel. He's a priest. He's, he, he's a prophet. He does great things for God. But at the end of his life, when he's dying, the people come to Samuel and they say, we need someone else to rule over us because your sons don't serve God. Because your sons don't worship the Lord. We need someone else to serve over us. Samuel, H-O-F, Hall of Faith. Rahab, the prostitute, enough said. Every time that Rahab is referred to in Scripture... She is referred to as Rahab the prostitute. She uh, was not of the people of God, but yet when the people of God came and needed help, she helped them in faith, putting her faith in their God, putting her faith and her protection and her family's protection in their God. 
So Rahab, HOF, Hall of Faith. All these people are in heaven's hall of fame or hall of faith, and all of them are flawed. All of them are flawed. So why does God use them? It can't be because they were perfect. Obviously, they were not. God did not work through them because they were flawless. God used them because they were faithful, or maybe more correctly, because they were full of faith. They lived lives of faith. They were not always faithful in all their actions, but their lives were lived on faith and trust in God. They lived the way they did because they believed and trusted that God existed and he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. God exists and he rewards those who seek him. And the Bible says they live their lives in faith in this God. And so for that, they're commended. Faith is living with the end in mind, the big picture in sight. It's believing that God's grace is available for your past and his spirit and power is really what matters in your present and your future. A life of faith is trusting that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. That we are all clay pots with cracks and it's through those cracks that the grace of God and the power of God shows brightest. A life of faith believes that it's not the dysfunctional family that I come from that determines the function of my future in the way that God can use me. It's not the dysfunctional family that I come from that determines my function for God. That's what all of these people show. I remember when I was uh, in college and I was taking a uh, class on family systems theory, family systems psychology. I was a freshman or sophomore, I can't remember, but I do remember an assignment that was given to us. And the assignment was to write a paper about your dysfunctional family. Real positive, optimistic paper, right? I remember not only resenting the assignment, but I also remember writing a response paper resenting the premise that every family in general and that my family specifically was dysfunctional. And I, so I wrote this paper on why the question was bogus, that you can't assume that everyone has a dysfunctional family and arguing basically, if you knew my family, you'd think differently. And I can only imagine the professor chuckling to himself as he read my paper by this naive undergraduate who thought he came from the perfect family. Like, he's sitting there going, finally, we found it. Call the papers, call the news. We found it, the perfect, fully functional family that's existed since the fall. We all come from a dysfunctional system in one way or another. If you don't think so, just wait a little while. You'll figure it out. We do, because we live in a fallen world and we're fallen people. We live in a flawed world and we're flawed people. But the dysfunction of your family, either the one you came from or the one you're in now, does not determine your function in the kingdom of God. 
Your imperfect family does not disqualify you from being used by the perfect God. In fact, as I read Scripture, it might put you in the perfect position to be used by God. It seems to me that God often loves to choose the cast aside, the unsuspecting, the looked down on, the last, the least, the one who's last picked, the one who's still standing against the wall when everyone else is gone. It happened with Abram, who nobody knew before that, but God chose. It happened with Moses the murderer in the exile. It happened with David, who was the last and the least of his brothers. It happened with Gideon, who was the least of the least of his family. It happened with Peter, an average fisherman. Paul, the persecutor of the church. And it happens with you, and it happens with me, that it's not about whether you are flawless, but about whether you will be faithful. Your imperfect family does not qualify you from being used by the perfect God. For this truth, I and many others in ministry are grateful. Because this past week, I had asked the Lord for forgiveness for yelling at my kids, for not handling a couple of situations the way that I know I should have and really wanted to. Because this past week, I didn't always treat everyone around me with kindness. Didn't always take interest in them the way I'd like to. Because this past week, I had some thoughts pass through my mind that if they were broadcast on these screens, I'd be ashamed and embarrassed, and I need to ask God for forgiveness and for a pure heart and mind. It's not flawless people God is looking for, but people of faith and will put their faith in him. When we come to a passage like this and when we spend the next few weeks looking at different families in the Bible, we'll discover that God does not work through the flawless, he works through the faithful. God does amazing work, not through perfect people, but through faithful people. Charles Swindoll, a great pastor out in California, I was there one year when he was getting an award for all his years of faithful ministry Uh, in uh, the church that he served in. I think it was celebrating maybe 50 years of ministry. I totally forget that you guys are up there. How are you? (laughs) I'm used to Burlington. I'm not used to looking up in the balcony. Sorry for neglecting you this whole time. Good to see you. Chuck Swindoll, when he he was getting this, he's getting this award. Um, He's getting this award for like 50 years of faithful ministry. And he says, he says, You know, the hardest thing is at home. He said, my kids never said to me, Dad, that was an amazing sermon. Thank you for your wonderful insights. Chuck Swindoll said, I get off the stage and my kid says to me, Dad, your fly was down. (laughs) Grateful that God is not looking for flawless people. He's looking for people of faith. So we could ask the question, is the family you came from flawed? Is your family situation flawed right now? But it's the wrong question. A better question is, are you being faithful and living in faith in the midst of your situation? Are you pursuing the things of God 
even in the midst of your imperfect situation? Are you believing God? Because the people in Hebrews 11 weren't commended for their flawlessness. They were commended for their faith. So difficult things happened in your home. Your kids have walked away. Your spouse walked away. Things are a mess. You're single and you want to be married. You're childless and you want kids. You have kids and you're wondering if you should. (laughs) Things are hard. Things are difficult. But are you being faithful in the midst of your situation? The question is not are you flawless and is your family unblemished? The question is are you faithful? Over the next few weeks, we're going to discuss what it looks like to live faithfully in the midst of our families and in the families that we might come from. What we want you to know today is that no matter what your background or your current situation, God will work through you to do an amazing work. That you can believe that even though you're not flawless, God wants you. God wants you as a follower. God wants, has a purpose for your life. God wants to work through you right in your situation right where you are. This is the gospel. Not that we learn to live flawless lives to impress God enough that he would use us, but that Jesus lived a flawless life, and by grace, God chooses us, and that as we trust and live our lives of faith, that he uses us too. This is the gospel that we trust. Jesus spent time with and worked through tax collectors, prostitutes, drunkards, adulterous people. It wasn't about whether the people were flawless or came from the right families. It was about whether or not they were faithful and would have faith in him. So as we come to close out this introduction to this series and this service this morning, here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to ask our music ministry to return to the stage. And what I'd like to do is this. I'd like to start out, because we're starting a series on families, ancient families, modern problems. And I think the best way to start out this series together is one, yes, for you to understand that even though you come from a flawed family and a dysfunctional family, that it does not determine the function of God and how he wants to use you, and that's important. But I also think it's good and right to start out this way. Let's start out this series together by praying for our families. By praying, I don't know when the last time was that you prayed for the family that you came from, your family of origin. Maybe you're estranged from them. Maybe you haven't talked to them in years. Maybe they don't talk to you and you don't talk to them, and everybody kind of likes it that way. But I want to start out by you praying for them. Maybe you need to pray for forgiveness that you need from them or forgiveness that you need to extend. Maybe you need to pray that God would deliver you from a bitterness, a jealousy, past hurt that occurred in your family. Maybe you need to pray that God would bless them and be gracious to them. Because a few minutes ago, we sang about amazing grace. And the thing about grace is when you receive it, you're also expected to give it. Maybe you need to pray for the family you're a part of right now. Perhaps you're married and you and your spouse had a fight last night or even this morning. 
and there's some work that needs to be done now. You're a parent and your kid's relationship has been strained and difficult. Parenting's hard work. It's not for wimps. It's difficult. It's challenging. Maybe you need to just pray that God will give you grace Maybe you're a child here who needs to pray for a relationship with your parents because you've been difficult. And you need to ask God to help you in that situation. Brother or sister that's been a challenge, whatever it is. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to give you a little space right where you are as our worship team plays. And I'm going to ask you to pray for your family, not just about your family. Because all of us can pray about our family. Oh, God, get him. Oh, God, let her know how difficult she's being. We can all do that. But I want you to pray for your family. God bless them. God, help me to forgive them. God, would you let them know how much you love them? God, would you let them know how much I love them? Let's take a few minutes while the worship team plays. Thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.